Welcome to the Bounce podcast series, hosted by me, Dr. Catherine Munn. This series is inspired by the original Bounce project at University of Victoria, created by Rebecca Gagan. In our series, McMaster faculty and alumni share stories which could easily have remained untold or secret. These are stories of loss, grief, rejection, relationship difficulties, mental health problems, and more, based on experiences our guests have had when they were students. This podcast series has been developed by our Bounce team, made up of students, staff, and faculty at McMaster, with a grant from the McMaster Okanagan Special Project Fund. The Bounce team are inspired and informed by our own experiences as students and conversations we have had with students, and we are passionate about promoting more open discussion of failure and struggle at McMaster. We envision that Bounce at McMaster can help us to build resilience, individually and collectively, by increasing mutual understanding and creating connections through the sharing of stories. Learn more about the project, our team, and our guests by checking out our website. Welcome back to Bounce. Uh, As you know, this is a podcast where uh, we are speaking to faculty and alumni at McMaster about some of their experiences as students so that we can learn from them and kind of understand and share our common humanity and build our resilience as a community. So today I'm very pleased to have a faculty member, uh, Dr. Deb Sloboda, uh, who I will ask to sort of introduce herself a little bit and give us uh, her her academic background. And then we'll move on to talk about um, some experiences that she had when she was a student. So welcome to Bounce, Deb. Thanks, uh, Catherine, and thanks for the opportunity to share uh, some of my experiences with you here on this awesome podcast. Um, So I'm a professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Biomedical Sciences. I'm also an associate member in pediatrics and obstetrics and gynecology. Um, I'm the associate chair of research in the Department of Biochemistry as well, and I hold a CRC uh, tier two in perinatal programming. Wonderful. <laughs> I, I knew you would do that better than better than I could. So, um, and maybe Deb, you can just tell us, just because I know folks are interested in understanding maybe what what the focus of your re- research and your work is is overall. Yeah. Uh, so, I have uh, two prongs to uh, to the research that I do. the The first is um, biological sciences and wet lab research uh, investigating how uh, the early life environment so the environment um, during embryonic and fetal life how that environment um, predicts and changes the way that we react to the postnatal environment to potentially induce disease risk and primarily we look at pathways between the mother the placenta and the fetus and and how those interactions impact on growth and development So we spend a long time doing a lot of biology around that. And then the other side of the lab is actually uh, community-based studies where we go out into the community, specifically into the city of Hamilton, and interact with uh, pregnant women and people and uh, to find out their barriers and enablers to uh, achieving a a healthy pregnancy. Super interesting. So it's a whole range of, of, of things from sort of more 
traditional laboratory research to to kind of the community and engaging with people to to address yeah. those factors. So yeah, very cool. Um, so so with Bounce, we're really you know I'm going to take you back a little bit to your days as as uh, as a student, and I know. Um, you know that that we've all we all have journeys as students that take us to different places. I think um, you you in particular, I know, have have moved around a fair amount to different kind of places to complete your your training. So maybe maybe we can start by you sort of just giving a bit of a sense of what your sort of school journey was, and then we can kind of focus in on on a couple areas there. I started off undergrad um, through a relatively uh, a not not a traditional way of getting to where I am right now. I started off um, actually in the Faculty of Arts because I was going to be a French teacher. So I embarked on that first year and, and did take some biology courses because I was interested in biology and, and then found that actually I was way more interested in biology than teaching French. <laughs> um, so I transferred uh, from arts to science and essentially, um, I don't want to say lost a year because I don't think that year was lost. I think I learned a lot in that year. And I also, I actually still uh, did, I actually still did a major in French. So uh, I juggled uh, French literature and biological pathways <laughs> through my undergrad, um, but eventually graduated. <laughs> um, it took an extra year, but eventually graduated and then went on to do a master's at Western University. I uh, did the master's in kinesiology, looking at the impacts of maternal exercise on metabolic outcome in women um, in women uh, during pregnancy. And then uh, from there, I did a PhD at the University of Toronto in the Department of Physiology, doing a PhD in fetal physiology. So primarily just um, uh, perinatal uh, endocrine pathways, so fetal endocrinology. Then uh, in the in the latter years or kind of in the middle years of my PhD, actually uh, most of my experiments weren't working. <laughs> um, and uh, then we found a collaborator uh, at the University of Western Australia who had a similar model that was working. So I got to go to Australia three times during my PhD to perform the experiments that weren't working in Toronto um, and then ship back um, samples that we collected and then I did the lab exper experiments in Toronto and so after I finished my PhD at U of T I ended up doing a postdoc uh, at that same university uh, in Western Australia so I stayed there for five years and um, after five years uh, myself and my partner decided we should head back to Canada but took a diversion uh, and ended up spending another five years at the University of Auckland in New Zealand um, because I had lots of collaborators there and they got wind of me leaving <laughs> Australia and suggested that maybe I should come to New Zealand and not Canada, so we did that. So I actually ended up with a permanent position um, as faculty at the University of Auckland before uh, deciding that actually Canada really was the destination <laughs> that we wanted. Um, and so I ended up at McMaster in 2012. That is the whole yes. journey. That, that that is a long journey. So you were in the educational pathway for a, for for a lot of years, as as I guess as many faculty were. Yeah. Also moving 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 countries, and so I know there's lots of different things that I'm already thinking. You know that I could ask you, but mm -hmm. I, I 
you know, knowing, um, knowing a little bit about you and, and some of the conversations we've had, I know that, uh, I know that when you were in Australia, there were some perhaps particular challenges to doing that fellowship uh, in Australia. And I wondered whether it might be, might be helpful to, to kind of talk a little bit about what some of your experiences were there that were kind of challenging. Yeah, probably the most challenging was the fact that, um, so I, I finished my PhD. I was, I'm not going to say old, uh, but I was older <laughs> than um, a lot of people who were graduating or who, who are currently graduating uh, with their PhD. So I, I finished my PhD when I was 32. So that meant at least, you know, uh, another four years of postdoc. It's going to be a while before I became a faculty member. And it was um, in my life, it was time to have children. Uh, so I actually defended my PhD in the third trimester of my pregnancy and then got on a plane and moved to Australia. So probably that's where the hardships began. <laughs> uh, not so much the move. Uh, but um, having my first child in another country, despite the fact that I could completely uh, communicate fine because they spoke the same language as me. So that that was a bit of a challenge. Um, and also the just the challenge of uh, trying to get back into the workforce after having uh, a child. It, I mean, it, I'm not going to lie. It was it was. Um, I was in Western Australia and I feel that Western Australia was like about 20 years behind where Canada was in, in its uh, support for women and children. Uh, and as a result, I felt very little support uh, either, you know, just after having the baby or really actually for years thereafter. Um, I did end up having a second child uh, while I was there as well. Um, yeah, so just the general work environment <laughs> was pretty unsupportive. So clearly, uh, there, I mean, we can all anticipate and imagine, I think, that there would be, at least I can, so many, many challenges just inherent to what you just described. So moving in your third trimester, then having a baby in a new country without family there, possibly with yeah. uh, trying to also, I, I would imagine, potentially prove yourself in a new yeah a new setting and I don't know how long you were able to take off and things like that after you had a baby, yeah. but I can only imagine like the challenge of that. And then in a culture that it sounds like from your perspective at that time, particularly was, was not very an accepting or welcoming one to women trying to juggle these, these things. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, um, it's not that babies weren't welcome, but it, it, it wasn't factored. It was, it just wasn't factored into the work day. It was like, you know, uh, I, we, we love babies. Everybody can have babies. It's great. Um, but we're still going to schedule meetings at 4.30 to 6. <laughs> so there was no, there was just no flexibility. Uh, like the workday remained the same regardless of your circumstance, despite the fact that really outwardly, you know, they were quite accepting. Uh, and saying it's great. Yes, we we love we we want you know the women that we work with to have children and to have families and everything, but it didn't translate into the behavior. So I think that's that was the biggest gap, um, which is, you know, I don't I don't I don't know what I would have done to change it, but and I and I couldn't 
have changed it. I, I was one of very few people. I was what I was the only PhD female in the department. I was in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, which is ironic, I would say. <laughs> um, and um, I was well, the there were very few PhD scientists there. And I was the only PhD who was a female. So I, I don't think they had any clue, actually, on what it meant to manage it. Um, and they didn't ask. So it, yes, on the surface, there was sort of, I guess, lip service given to it's, yeah. you know, we have babies and we want women that are working as scientists to have babies as well. But in terms of the day-to-day -day yeah. trying to be a mother with a baby in a new country and kind yeah. of these jobs, not really recognizing what, what would be helpful. That's <laughs> right. Know, That's right. And in, you know, in retrospect, um, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't blame myself for this in any way, shape or form. Like the situation was not mine. Uh, I did not create that situation. It was definitely, you know, the fault of the department, but, uh, you know, I, I could, I, sh I could have spoken up. I, I could have spoken up. I, my job was not at risk and I should have, I, I should have been louder. Um, and it makes me sad that even that I think that actually, because it, uh, I don't want I don't want to ever think back to think, you know, regret that I didn't say anything because I don't, but I could have. I think I should have spoken more loudly about what I needed. Yeah, and I, I I mean I hear what you're saying is that, you know, you you don't you don't blame yourself now. I guess I wonder though back then, what what might have kept you from speaking up given 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 the culture, given being new to the, I mean, I'm just wondering what, you know, maybe some of the barriers at that time to actually speaking up to say something would have been. Yeah, well, I was scared. <laughs> I was scared. And, uh, and the fear came, came from a general lack of experience, I think, and, and no mentorship, like there was very little, well, I was the only, <laughs> absolutely a PhD who is a woman. So there was no other woman there uh, that could have said to me, actually, no, you can say something. It's all fine. Like no one is going to do anything to you. Um, and, and that's the advice I would, I would be giving now. What were sort of like the things that you would have wanted to say back then, like small or large, like what, 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 you know, if you had yeah, like, so just, I think maybe small, like small things I would have said. Oh, I see that we have a meeting at four 30. Uh, would it be possible to schedule this meeting? Like from now on at like 1230, cause I have to leave to go and pick up from daycare or, you know what I mean? Like simple things like that. There might've been pushback, probably would have been pushback, but, but I didn't say it. Right. And I, I should have said, I should have said, actually, this is what I need. I, I need this. Um, and, and, um, I, I, cause I think intuitively they definitely, they had no clue what, what I needed. Um, and, and just to put it in perspective, it was 20 years ago, I might add, um, not, not that that's an excuse, um, but, but it was 20 years ago. So, you know, uh, breastfeeding and, you know, expressing milk and things there, there's no, there was no lactation room. There's no, right. It was just, it was in my office, but I was doing lots of animal work. Yeah. It was just, 
they were so complacent about it. Like, oh yeah, whatever, you can go, go ahead and do your thing. It, it almost was like, it wasn't important. And it, it was like, is it like the bathroom's gotta be good enough <laughs> for you to sit in the bathroom and, you know, express for an hour. I, I think it was such a laissez-faire laissez attitude that it diminished the whole thing, you know? And it kind of, you kind of felt like, I don't know, a lesser person maybe i'm wondering what, about, about at the time like what was the consequence for you like what how did it feel for you and what what was the struggle on a day-to-day -day basis like for you at that time to be juggling yeah. all of these things and trying to like, do the science and breastfeed in the bathroom and like so yeah what, what was that like yeah it was kind of well it was like just constantly multitasking tasking all the time right like scheduling an appointment to go to the washroom and then having to go tell the other women that oh by the way i'm going to the washroom i'm going to be there for an hour and it, it's just added it, it was added work added work um distraction um when i felt already that i probably was underperforming which i know that i wasn't now i know that i wasn't right but at the time i felt like i was significantly underperforming because I was being pulled in different directions. And of course, like I get home and, um, you know, my, my, actually my partner was the primary caregiver for most of it. And, and then coming home and thinking, oh, I haven't spent enough time here and then feeling guilty about that. But that's almost every, almost every mother that I've spoken to that has a 20 year old that works full time felt the same way. So I'm not sure. Yeah. what what i could have done about that i mean i had an extremely extremely supportive partner i wouldn't have gotten through it without him that's for sure there's no chance um but certainly the work environment didn't help in any way shape or form and ju just as a contrast you know when i moved to new zealand it was entirely different it was entirely different so when i went to go see my director the first question that the director would ask me on any on any given appointment was, how is your family? How are they doing? How are they, you know, for the first six months of me moving there, it was, how's everybody adjusting? How's school? How, right? So that, that was the first question, which, you know, it, it seems like a small, <laughs> like a very small thing, but it makes the other person think, oh, you're actually acknowledging that I am something outside of this building. Um, so it made, it just made the whole environment completely different. So I think, you know, that's that's so interesting to think about, you know, that subtle difference. It sounds subtle, but it's really a profound difference from what you're describing in just in just the way you were being sort of treated as as a as a scientist or a student or a fellow um, in Australia, where, you know, it's just all about the job. It's about the science yeah. and like, what are you doing and when are you getting this done? And oh, you happen to have a family and Children. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in New Zealand, it sounds like there was more in that setting, there was more of an acknowledgement, oh, you are a person and, yeah. and you have a family and, and that you're bringing all of those things, obviously, as we do, to the table. Um, and there was an acknowledgement and an awareness of that and a permission to actually talk about that. Even. That's right. And you're a whole person. You're, you're, you are a whole person. I, I am you know, a scientist, I am a mother, and I'm a sister, right? And I'm a caregiver. And 
whatever else, you know, I was doing at the time, like I come as that whole person to work. I don't just come as a scientist, like, and with nothing else attached to me. Um, so I think that that was the distinct difference. Um, and, you know, whether, whether or not, you know, the folks that I worked with in Australia did understand it or not, it wasn't, it, it didn't come out in the behavior that that's, you know, perhaps they did believe it. I don't, I, I don't know. Perhaps they actually did believe it, did acknowledge it, did all of it. Right. But it didn't come out in behavior. And I think, you know, going forward, especially now, 20 years later, right. When, when we're thinking about, so how do we support the people that need support around us at, at the university? It's not just about, you know, policies and a strategy and something written down on paper. It is a, it is about a cultural shift. It, it has to come out in the behavior. And if it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many different places it's written down. It really doesn't. Um, because ultimately those people won't feel supported. And, it, and I, as I said, it, it actually doesn't really take a lot. It just takes being human. Absolutely. And, and, and I guess just backing up for a sec, do you, you know, I guess you, you focused and we've talked a little bit about, I mean, at that time, obviously the key issue was you were, a, had become a mother, but I, I would imagine like as going through science and going through a pretty male dominated part of science from what you're describing, uh, that it, what, it's not just about having babies. It seems to me that it, oh. it's also about being a woman in a male, um, in a male dominated profession yeah. and environment, especially there. And I guess I wonder, yeah. like, were there other parts to that that made it, it wasn't just about the family and the children. That seems to me, was it also about, is it, is it, or was it also about the culture of being like the only woman with working with all men? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, I, I just think, absolutely. I think it was. And uh, to be honest, that I had, <laughs> it's not isolated to where I was in Australia, I mean, the same happens or happened everywhere, everywhere, uh, you know, e even, e even where I was in New Zealand, it, it, they were welcoming, I was happy, I was super happy, but it, there are the, the same small indications uh, that you are slightly different than the others be because, because you're, you're a woman or you identify as a woman or, you know, you're a female. So it's all, it's always there. It, it was, it was always there. And I have to say probably only in the last five years ha has it gone away more <laughs> for me. Now, I don't know whether that's because we're doing a better job as a community, as a scientific community, we're definitely more woke now than we ever were before. Um, it's not gone away. I know that. Um, maybe it's because there are a few more women in leadership now than there were when I was going through. There were very few, like extremely few women in leadership positions. And I mean, like heads of department or, uh, you know, uh, associate deans and things like that. Um, 
So I, I think it was a combination of the fact that there were very few women in leadership positions. And then depending on the geographical region that you're in in the world, there are different cultural norms for, uh, that are gendered. And uh, I didn't enjoy the ones that were in Australia. <laughs> they were different than the ones that were in Canada. And then they were different again than as they were in New Zealand, as they would be if I traveled to the Middle East, as they would be if I traveled, you know, anywhere else. So I, I think it's a combination of cultural norms and just science in general, accepting women as thought leaders. Um, but what, we're getting there. Yeah. So you, you've seen movement over time, uh, but the, like the challenges still persist and, and continue even now and even here. And, um, and I mean, I guess in terms of overt kind of sexism, yeah, <laughs> that, that is something that you've experienced. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I said, not, not so much recently, but most definitely uh, uh, as a PhD student, 100%. And and I don't, uh, you know, uh, the the whole, the Me Too movement where so many women came forward and said, you know, we all experience the same sort of subtle, you know, subtle sexual advances, right? That's, that, that's pervasive. Or what? pervasive. I'm not a PhD student now, so I can't say, but it was absolutely pervasive um, where we were. I don't, I don't know a woman that didn't experience it. I put it that way. Even in the academic world. Yeah. Because yeah. I think sometimes folks maybe assume that this doesn't necessarily happen or didn't happen in, in, in universities or in academia, but, but uh, I, I think we've heard yeah, I mean, you're you're saying it sure did, and and I think many others have now started to say absolutely, it. yeah, and and it does for sure it happened, uh, uh, yes, and I know for a fact that I'm not the only one. Uh, so uh, you know, I have a handful of people around me that that would agree with me, but um, yeah, the, the the notion that just because we happen to be in an academic environment that this doesn't happen is uh, is naive. It's naive to think that. Um, and unfortunately, it's something that we have to keep. We have to keep uh, battling and we have to keep looking for um, because, uh, you know, the individuals, the individuals that are culpable um, don't want to get caught. So, you know, this, it is quite subtle. Uh, and it's those, it's the subtlety that makes uh you know the individuals on the other side of on the other side of the action uh start to doubt whether or not that actually happened because it's so subtle but you know you have a feeling you have this feeling and then you go what 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 just happened there and then you might dismiss it because it was like no that can't possibly happen you know that that that's not right. You know, that person is a preeminent scientist in da 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 da. Like, how how could no, I must be mistaken. But yeah. it happens too often. It just happens too often. And as as I've grown older, you know, I look back and think, those were terrible. Like that they were terrible actions. And 
you know, innuendos and invitations and, and it's uncalled for and reprehensible (laughs) that, you know, uh, any, any woman, never mind a student and somebody that, uh, you know, is under somebody's authority would have to go through that. So it's, it's, you can see that now and feel sort of more angry and compelled to action, I guess, you know, now, the position now, but I, I I would imagine at the time, not, maybe not so much, not so, not so empowered to, to, to speak and to take any action. Yeah, that's right. Uh, And, and a lot of times you wonder, well, you just, just, like I just said, you assume that you're overreacting because how could this person who's so smart and such an amazing scientist and leader or supervisor or whatever, right? Like whatever. Well, how could that even, you know, dawn on him to engage in such activity? Uh, So you just kind of dismiss it a little bit. Um, Yeah. So, so thinking, thinking back, I mean, thinking back to those times or even, I guess, what, what actually did help you get through all of these? Because this obviously wasn't just one experience. This was like many, many experiences of feeling, um, feeling, you know, in terms of being, being a woman, being a mother and feeling like you kind of weren't necessarily fitting in at certain times and that you were actually, you know, that there were things happening to you that were outside your control that were not. And so I guess I wonder what actually did help you get through all that and like persist and continue to do a fellowship and then to be like, what, what, what helped you? Yeah. Um, definitely the people around me. So, uh, speaking at least to the people around me. So my peers and, uh, my friends, uh, and, and as I said, I had a incredibly supportive partner. Um, and to be honest, I wouldn't have gone through it without him. There's no way I would have been able to do it. I suppose I would have found some other support mechanism, but he was, you know, 150% supportive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so without the support around you, it's very, very difficult. So I guess the important thing is to talk to people and not to be afraid. Like, if, I mean, if you don't want to say anything to those in authority, at the very least, speak to somebody up here to say, is this like, have I gone crazy? Or do you, do you also kind of feel this? Or, um, you know, what would you do in this scenario? Or, um, or sometimes it's just a matter of complaining and, you know, having the other person go, that's terrible. And it sucks. And validation, I suppose, part of it is validation, just saying, yeah, that's really bad. And you have every right be angry about it. And there's nothing I can do because, you know, I'm even, I'm only a first year student and you're a fourth year student or something like that. You know what I mean? But don't be afraid to just talk to somebody for no other reason than to just validate, validate your feelings. Um, And then eventually maybe you'll hit upon the right person who maybe could help you out of it. If you can get out of it, if you want to get out of it, I don't, uh, but I, I would say support all the support around you. And, and I continue to have that support, you know, a support network. I, I have a, a group of science girlfriends, we call ourselves. And 
I go to them. If I have doubts about something, right? And I, you know, I immediately put it out there and say, uh, you know, someone asked me to do this, or I've been asked to do this, or this is what's happened. Four, I have four of them and they come back, sometimes disagree, you know, but we have a conversation about it. And sometimes you just need to put it out there and kind of nut it out a little bit, you know, uh, verbalize it, talk through it, try and find a solution to like go an uncomfortable or an unusual circumstance. I was just going to say, it sounds, it sounds like all the way along and continuing to this day, sort of like the things that the things that got you through were kind of being able to reach out to other people and peers, especially who could sort of understand the circumstances you were in and kind of hear you and believe you that, and, and kind of empathize with you as to yeah. what you're experiencing and then maybe offer suggestions, maybe not, but at the very least kind of hear you and, and then your partner as well, just having a chance to be able to express what was happening, be believed, be, be sort of have your perspective understood whether or not you decided to do something about it or not that was exactly yeah because it was always and and now like my my committee my support committee right uh you know what whatever i decide they say okay that's your decision yep we'll support you that's it that right and they might think i think that's not not the right way to go or what it, but it's a conversation and I know that I can always go to them, describe the circumstance and I will get an answer. I will get an answer no matter what. And I think that's, that's the important thing. Um, and it's hard when you don't have that. And sometimes actually you just got to reach out to people that you don't think actually are, are those people, but they actually are. Everybody, almost everybody I know is in the same circle you know, male and female, man and woman, or other, are in this weird circumstance in academia. You mean like that there's things that are happening, you know, in the course yeah. of that are personally difficult, and that they want to talk to someone about them? Is that what you mean? That, yes. And just sometimes just need, you know, a springboard. That's it. Uh, so I, I'm not suggesting that it's just you know, women in science. I think everybody in science, but well, I can only speak for science, but I'm, I imagine everybody in the world <laughs> needs, needs support. Uh, and sometimes you will be, you'll doubt yourself. It doesn't, doesn't matter where you are and who you are, or the president of the university, I'm sure doesn't wake up and go, I can do anything. Uh, right. So everybody doubts themselves sometimes, um, no matter what. Because uh, we're human. Yeah. So it sounds like your ability to reach out to other people and e even sometimes people that you don't know that you could trust yet, but to give people a chance to kind of actually try to have a conversation about something that's yeah. happening. Yeah. See, see how it goes. Um, yeah. it, it has been helpful. Yeah. I know that we, I could probably, we could probably talk a lot longer about a lot of things, but um, I did just want to ask you finally, um, you know, if, if there had been a few things that, people could have said or done, I guess, along the way, or maybe they did say, <laughs> kind of to make some of these experiences easier or to kind of lighten the load. Like what, what would those have been? Or, or even to think about maybe what are the things that you try to do 
lighten yeah. people's load now as be, you know, given that you also now supervise lots of uh, PhD students and yeah. So, you know, are there things that are, are would have been helpful to hear or you think may, are helpful for, for, for women in science to hear? Yeah. Um, I think that uh, just to, you know, through those tough times, it would have been good to hear. It's okay. You know, you're, you're doing a good job uh, and you're doing your best. Mm -hmm. that, right? Um, it just a validation of the fact that, you know, if you're doing your best, then no one else can really ask more of you because you're technically doing your best. <laughs> so you can't, you can't give more than your best. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, I, people have said to me, well, you can't be, you can't be a superwoman. Don't try and be a superwoman. Don't try. You can't do everything you can't do. Right. I, I actually personally don't find that helpful because most, um, of my my colleagues my female colleagues are driven to reach excellence right so so saying well you're not a superwoman so don't worry about it it is is not helpful because because i want to get as many grants as i can because i want to publish as many papers as i can because i want my students to succeed because i want my children to succeed because i want a really nice garden I, like it's all there so just saying oh don't worry about it yeah. because not everybody can do everything it's not particularly helpful to me i think more what would be helpful is um grouping things together and saying that's great that you want all of those things right in excellence but maybe we can prioritize some over the others or you know maybe right now in the month of july <laughs> you know maybe we can prioritize the garden <laughs> because you need some time off and and then you know starting july 30th you can start writing the grant again and that'll be a priority so i i that's that's sort of what i think about and that's the advice i give because most of the people that that i know and feel comfortable speaking to about this in academia are are similar to me that they, they are driven to excel so kind of just saying it's okay not to excel is not helpful <laughs> that's not helpful because actually i want to excel so yeah. how do i get there um but that, also, that, yeah also it sounds like acknowledging you know you are more than just your work that you know sometimes yeah focus on some other things and that's okay and then you will come back to what you know the work <laughs> always that's you will right. come back to work but but that there are other pieces and parts of you that also deserve attention and right. and 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 being validated for that <laughs> as well not that not yeah. that don't worry be happy but you know yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you know i've been asked to talk about a number of times uh you know work-life balance and i've often said there there isn't there isn't a balance like you can't say i'm only going to work this these amount of hours and i'm, and I'm going to spend this amount of hours doing this to me it's like an integration and and it's a complete interdigitation for me of of all of those things and sometimes it's going to be 
a little bit work heavy. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit leisure heavy. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit family heavy. And it and it's just a moving landscape depending on what the general environment is that I'm in, right? So and that'll keep moving and it and it keeps moving throughout my whole life and that's probably why I'm still in the job that I'm in because I happen to like that. <laughs> I happen to like the changing landscape all the time. Other people hate the changing landscape and and perhaps maybe uh, that's why they have strict, you know, I work Monday to Friday and I don't work Saturday, Sunday. Um, whereas I'm kind of a, I work all the time and none of the time <laughs> kind of person. Um, but everybody has to find their own way. And I think a prescription is too harsh. You can't use the same brush to paint everyone. Deb, thank you uh, so much for, for speaking to me today. And I know this conversation will be so helpful for, for many kids to hear. And I imagine actually many um, like young faculty and other, other faculty as well, as I, as I find it helpful to kind of think about and talk about, you know, how, how as women we kind of are professionals and navigate the academic world and have done so from the time we were students to, to, to now. So, Thank you so much for joining us and uh, I really appreciate it. And, and, and thanks for sharing so many stories with us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Take care. Thank you for listening to this Bounce podcast. We hope that you have been taken on a bit of a journey by listening to the podcast and hearing the story and perspectives shared. We would love to hear more of your reactions to and reflections on our story if you wish to share them with us at bounce at mcmaster.ca. You can also check out our website, which is linked on the podcast description and our social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thank you so much. <laughs>